Hey guys, how we doing? It's Jawad with Hit the Apex Podcast. How is everyone this week? I hope everyone is doing well wherever you are in the world. Um, it's been a big week. It's been a big week in in many ways, in many good ways, I've got to say too. I mean, don't want anyone to say I always bring you bad news, but no, it's been a busy week in terms of uh, driver movement with Formula One, um, even a bit of supercars, uh, silly season action happening, which I'll go over later as well. Um, I've been moonlighting on another podcast as well. Uh, check out the F1 Grid Talk show um by the good people at f1 chronicle uh thank you very much for getting in touch with me and um wanting me to feature as a guest i hope i did a very good job um i joined george and tom to do the italian grand prix preview show uh on monday early tuesday morning actually for me 4am um loved it absolutely had a lot of fun i'll put the link in the description for you but otherwise do check them out they are a well-oiled machine that group and such great content you know from the website their articles they also did an interview with mario azola the pirelli uh boss for f1 as well earlier this week so that was quite interesting to check it out and yeah, I look forward to actually being a guest in the future again, if they'll have me. <laughs> I hope I did a good job. I hope I wasn't too, uh, you know, wasn't rambly or any, anything like that. But anyway, yeah, that was great fun. I enjoyed that. Um, and also just the, the great news, driver movement going on. You know, we got the confirmation that George Russell will be heading to Mercedes on a multi-year deal that was triggered more so by uh, Valtteri Bottas confirming that he would be departing Mercedes and signing a multi-year deal with Alfa Romeo. So Mercedes basically waited a day to to lock in or to confirm the Russell deal, as well, I suppose, out of respect to Bottas, even though Toto Wolff did say something like, you know, he, he deserved to stay. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's, it is done. It's, you know, we can talk about it uh in the in the postscript i guess about where it all went wrong and whatnot but yeah it's it's done now we know the future of bottas we know the future of russell we know the futures of the alpha tari drivers they'll be staying put um pierre gasly and yuki sonoda it was interesting actually because i haven't really talked much about sonoda apart from you know when he whenever he has a sweary rant but um talking to the guys on the grid talk podcast um basically you know i think it was tom who was saying you know sonoda was promoted too early and basically because honda wanted a driver in f1 um before they pulled out of the sport and he was the one you know otherwise i mean in the back of my mind certainly when i heard sonoda was being promoted last year Looking at his results in F2, I'm like, it's a bit too early, you know? Uh, Mick, you look at Mick Schumacher, he spent two years in Formula 2, um, and then second year he won the title. I know a lot of people think, you know, Sonoda would have, was a championship contender last year, but, you know, he d- didn't seem convincing enough, so... That was, that was you know, a concern in the back of my mind, which I didn't really pay much attention to. I feel like he's done an okay job this year. Um, but when you look at how good Alpha Tauri is, the car, the way Pierre Gasly is performing as well, I certainly think that they would have benefited from having someone like a Danny Kvyat stay, you know. So I 100% agreed with that um, statement there. 
And at the same time, you know, it's also <laughs> Red Bull trying to show that their their young driver program isn't dead. You know, it's it's been pretty miserable over the last, you know, five years, almost, yeah, let's say five, five, six years, basically, since, you know, Daniel Ricciardo decided to leave, uh, who was next in line, you know, they went through Pierre Gasly, they went through Alex Albon, um, Yuki Tsunoda, is he a future prospect for Red Bull? It's so early to say, it's so early to say, and I bet you Red Bull, you know, secretly kicking themselves over letting um, Patricio O'Ward go, given how he, well, he's doing an IndyCar at the moment, and certainly on McLaren's long-term radar as well for, for F1, if he was ever keen. So, you know, it's it's a bit of a pickle, the Red Bull situation, but it's good for, good for them to keep Gasly as well. I think Gasly is a driver whose stocks are certainly quite high, um, also returning to the scene of uh, his victory last year there at Monza, which I'll do the preview for Monza a bit later. <laughs> um, and, you know, if he's got no future at the Red Bull senior team, then he can't hang around at AlphaTauri for long, you know, for much longer. So that'll be interesting to see where his future goes. But for Sonoda, you know, just... Yeah, not convinced yet. <laughs> um, elsewhere, you had the confirmation coming out of Williams as well that you'll have Nicholas Latifi returning for his third year with the team and Alex Albon returning as well after a year off um, after getting dumped by Red Bull. So this was an interesting one because Red Bull still has rights to Albon. Um, he's still a Red Bull driver, yet... Williams are a team that has got heavily heavy links to Mercedes, and apparently, uh, if you believe what you know has been said around the uh, <laughs> around the news news waves, whatever you want to call it, um, throughout the last couple of weeks, is that apparently there was a, a bit of a war going on for that final seat at um, Williams, whether it would be uh, Mercedes test driver Nick de Vries, Formula E champion, or um, Red Bull's driver, reserve test driver in Alex Albon, you know, and whether Mercedes said stuff like, oh, you know, he would have to break ties with Red Bull if he wanted to come to, to Williams, for example, but, you know, Williams ended up getting the Red Bull driver, um, things that are being talked about, perhaps, is that given that Jos Capito, the Williams CEO, in his previous head chairman, boss role there at um, the VW Rally program, had Red Bull as a sponsor, whether he's trying to tie up some kind of um, uh, deal between Red Bull and Williams, or even, you know, broker something between, you know, Red Bull engine technologies or whatever, because they're going to be developing their own engines from 2025 um, to lure in someone from the Volkswagen Audi group as well. That's something that's been talked about. But anyway, regardless of the politics and everything that's associated with it, it's so good to see Albon back in the grid. Um, it was a bit unfair the way he was cast out there at the end of last season. I was one of those people who said, look, you know, if it if it comes down to the crux of it and Red Bull going for the championship, winning the constructors and having someone there to, to back up Max, you know, in terms of the points and everything, then I've picked Checo over, over Albon because Checo's an, Checo was a known quantity. Albon, unfortunately, wasn't in that re environment. But again, it's one of those classic cases like a Pierre Gasly where 
Gasly seems to thrive in an Alpha Tauri type environment where he is the the focus. You know, he's the the number one driver in terms of development and all that. And that's certainly something that he can get at Williams too and be a driver for them for, for years to come if he chooses to. So very good um, news all round. So that just leaves the one seat at Alfa Romeo, which as far as I just checked recently on social media, it's not been confirmed yet um, who it's going to be. But I still think it's something that they're not even sure about, that it's... Uh, up for grabs, so Bottas obviously the lead driver there, so they can afford to put in a rookie or someone less experienced, you know, with someone like Bottas to spearhead their development, I think they can be on the right path, um, they've kind of been nowhere though over the last couple of years, you know, they, they looked they looked excellent in the first year that they were, um, they had the Alfa Romeo tie-up, it was also because they had Charles Leclerc putting in those exceptional performances, but while I think, you know, the Raikkonen Juvenazzi combination was a good one, you know, solid one, just not consistent enough, you know, in terms of pushing. It just didn't seem like there was a lot of pushing um, with development, being aggressive and all that. Who knows? I mean, you know, Kimi is Kimi. We know how he operates and he's a, he's a really good operator. And as much as I like Giovinazzi as well, I think he's a amazing bloke and not that I know the guy. <laughs> um, and he's been great to have um, have him in F1. Maybe the time is right for Alpha to go with a completely different lineup, and whether that means bring in someone like a Nick DeFries if, if he's really keen. Um, other names out there, uh, Mick Schumacher could potentially take a sidestep from Haas and go over to over to Alpha Romeo. Guan Yu Zhou's been someone who's been talked about from Formula 2. Um, but I've got my doubts about Joe in terms of, you know, his ability. He's he's good, he's, but I don't think he's great. But then there's also the funding that comes with him. Um, we know that Alpha Boss uh, Frederick Vasseur is a big fan of Teo Porcher as well. You have Callum Eilert. you got so many names. Oscar Piastri is one that I would like to see. If, well, if he wins F2 this year, the championship... Where's there room for him on the F1 grid, unfortunately, um, if that alpha seat gets taken? So what is Piastri going to do? Um, but yeah, that, that can be said about anyone. No, that's just me personally wanting um, another Aussie on the grid in the form of Piastri. So there we go. That's the um, silly season news. I thought I'd get that out of the way first up. <laughs> um, and before I get into the Dutch Grand Prix review and um, previewing the next race at Monza, I just wanted to uh, come out and say as well and ask the question of, are you okay? It's are you okay day today here in Australia, which is very important. Um, it's it's very important that this has been recognised um nationwide as a day to to ask loved ones or friends colleagues whoever you know in your life you know are you okay yeah um, in terms of mental health awareness you know suicide prevention and all those things and those who know me quite well will know that they they those are things that are very um some there's something that I'm very serious about and uh I hold those um, things quite close, you know, whether it's stuff that I've gone through myself or I've seen friends and family go through as well. Um, I understand the importance of, you know, having that conversation with, with someone to check in to see how they're doing. Not, you know, the kind of meaningless, 
oh, how you are you okay kind of thing and then forget about it. It's about, you know, starting a conversation and um, being able to talk to someone and, and be there for them, you know, help them through whatever it is that they're going through. And at the moment, obviously, a lot of people are doing it rough, you know, in the middle of the pandemic and um, whether you're here on the east coast of Australia and particularly New South Wales and Victoria, if you're in lockdown and everything, um, it might be a lot harder for you. So, yeah, and don't don't get me wrong, I'm not being paid by um, this foundation to, to say this on this podcast. It's more so... I just realized that it's the day and I thought I would raise it because it's something that I'm very um, serious and passionate about. So, yeah, you know, where, wherever you are in the world, if, if that's something you want to recognize or whether they do recognize it elsewhere in the world, good for you. Um, but, yeah, hopefully, you know, if you see someone who is in need of help and in need of a chat, you know, to do it or just, you know, check in on people you haven't checked in for a while with. <laughs> Alrighty, let's get into it then. The Dutch Grand Prix, um, not the most exciting race, I've got to say. Like I think the hype around it was a lot more um, that there would be chaos and carnage and safety cars, blah blah blah. But the electric atmosphere and the roaring grandstands kind of, you know, did its thing and um, made it like such a race. Like I can tell you, pretty much everyone I know who watched that race has said it's on our bucket list now, it's going to be a destination race for us to go to in the future, and I certainly hope, you know, when I'm allowed to leave the country um, and go traveling again, and also be back allowed back into the country, that um, I'm able to go over to the Netherlands. I was supposed to be there last year, surprisingly, even though it wasn't at the time of the Grand Prix, but, you know, I was supposed to fly back from Amsterdam after my little European vacation, Anyway, <laughs> long story short, um, it never happened. Uh, so looking at the how the race panned out, great to see Max Verstappen obviously win the race. You know, I think it was the script for the weekend. If it had gone any other way, I'm sure there would have been riots and all sorts of um, chaos in terms of just trying to get out of Zandvoort um, with all your limbs intact. But um, no, it was, it was great. And I think it was... One of those things when I heard the commentary talking about it as well, it is like Maximania, basically. The fact that, you know, the whole nation has gotten behind one driver. We saw it with, you know, Fernando Alonso there in Spain, given that he was like the only F1 driver at the time who, who was successful, you know, he was the first Spanish world champion or first and only Spanish world champion. You know, you've got that fandom for Valentino Rossi there in Italy as well at his peak. Hamilton gets it in the UK. And then when you think of um, how Max is received elsewhere when you go in the, wherever you go in the world, there is always a sea of orange. And to see then the whole track covered in orange and in orange smoke as well for the flares, that was quite special, I think. So, you know, it's great to see the the support that this guy's getting. Um, it could very well be a championship year this year. That's the thing. That's going to make it all the more special. And, you know, starting on pole position ahead of Hamilton and Bottas, um, it was a difficult weekend for Mercedes, difficult weekend for Hamilton as well, given that he had problems in FP2 and lost a bit of time. Um, but, yeah, you know, it was one of those races where, it was fine watching the leader go away and unbothered throughout the race. Um, 
Mercedes tried to trigger uh, undercuts and everything. They came in to pit Hamilton first on lap 21, um, but Max was able to respond. Um, Bottas was left out to kind of thwart Max in the in the lead, but you know, Red the Red Bull wasted no time in in passing and. This is something that Hamilton said after the race is that, you know, and I think he said it on the team radio as well, that he felt that Max was like Noah in terms of dealing with the traffic, that, you know, the cars just kind of like the ocean kind of moves aside. But I was like, isn't that, isn't that Moses who did that? He made the, made the um, ocean or the water move aside and so that they could walk through. Anyway, I don't know my biblical history and all that sure there's a movie out there that I could watch in regards to it anyway we get to lap 40 second stop for Hamilton he is unhappy because he's on the medium tire and it wouldn't be a Grand Prix if we don't hear Hamilton complaining about tires on the radio for for pretty much the entire race um while Max went on to the hards he was okay I think he made a comment or two about why am I on the hard tire but at the same time it was good for him um then poor Bottas he ends up having a third stop on quote-unquote safety grounds um even though we thought maybe they might be pulling him out to go for the fastest lap because he had enough of a gap over fourth place that he could but was he was actually told to abort his fastest lap attempt you know like this is this is the thing you know I thought Bottas was perhaps being cheeky when he put in a couple of good sectors but Apparently, no, he was told to abort the fastest lap. He said he didn't do it on purpose or anything like that either. Um, that was so that because they brought Hamilton in on the following lap, I think the penultimate lap of the race, so that he could get the point for fastest lap. So what was the point of bringing Bottas in anyway, you know, so close to the end? They say it was on safety grounds. Um, were they trying to open up the gap um, so that Bottas wouldn't get ahead of Hamilton after he pitted? Who knows? I did put in my notes, though. I'm like, you know, so sad that this is what Bottas's Mercedes career has come to. Please end. Well, thankfully, the end is in sight. <laughs> Only got, you know, nine or so races to go. Um, so, or less than that. Nine or so races or less to go. So, yeah, we've got an end in sight there for for um, Valtteri. But another podium for, for Bottas. Crucial points, I guess, for Mercedes in the Constructors' Championship. I mean, that's something that... Bottas seems to be doing pretty well, you know, picking up those third places, even though he's probably getting sick of it. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're still ahead in the Constructors' Championship, which is important. I'll get to Checo a bit later, but um, it was a lonely fourth there for Pierre Gasly, who had an astonishing weekend. And, you know, as I was saying before, um, really singing the Frenchman's praises, I think, you know, his future has to surely be in a, in a race-winning car outside of the Red Bull family. So, you know, he did well to finish ahead of the Ferraris who were split by Fernando Alonso there on the penultimate lap or the last lap, I think. Um, Alonso, again, it is brilliant best doing some great overtakes right from the start even as well. I think he tried going around the outside of the one of the banked t turn three, I think it was, of his teammate Ocon. Ocon wasn't happy with him early on in the race, saying he was much quicker and wanted to get past, but Alonso was doing the right thing. He then passed his compatriot Science for sixth at the end. Um, but the driver of the day award didn't go to Fernando. It went to Sergio Perez who ended up having a recovery drive from the pit lane um, 
to finishing inside the points. Um, the reason why he ended up in the pit lane is a he was knocked out in Q1 in qualifying. So there's the, the <laughs> there's the first strike. Um, second strike is that. Red Bull decided, well, if we're starting from the back of the grid anyway, let's avoid the chaos and pull you out of park Ferme, stick a new power unit in the car because, you know, they've exceeded their allocation of three. And that's going to be interesting as well. And for Max is where, where they're going to take that um, next uh, power unit, which will incur a penalty. Um, so they do that, which means he has to start from the pit lane. And then strike three was getting a flat spot on his um, hard set of hard tires after his first pit stop as well. So he had to take an extra stop. Um, so normally three strikes out, but in this instance, Checo did put in a great job to have a bit of a comeback drive. He made some key passes on the likes of Lando Norris and Ocon towards the end of the race to score P8. But therein lies the problem is that, you know, Checo is great. He's a great racer. He's more of a hard racer than Albon, you know, that we saw sure from Albon and even Pierre Gasly at the time that he was at Red Bull. But that hard racing could be better off at the front of the grid, you know, like kind of, you know, on this side of the top five instead of the other side. Um, put in that, that sort of effort against Bottas or Hamilton to, to get them off. Um, Verstappen's back and you know it's getting to the stage where if Red Bull miss out on the Constructors' Championship this year then if they win the Drivers' Championship for example then you're going to attribute it to the, the other driver and as well as you know as much as you know I've praised Checo and I've been like you know at least he's won a race you know he's been on the podium this year that's one thing that I think he still needs to fix and good on him for securing the drive for next year as well. Not like Red Bull had much choice as far as um, who else they could have chose, but it was interesting hearing that, you know, if Bottas was on the market early enough, then, you know, um, Red Bull should have considered him anyway. Um, but yeah, it would be nice to see Checo qualifying a bit better um, in the remaining races, it's going to be very crucial because if something happens to Max, then you're going to need the second driver to, to back up. And that's where, you know, Silverstone, when you look at what happened there and Max is taken out in the first lap and Checo is, you know, having a bad weekend, he, he crashes in the, or spins in the sprint race, ends up having to start from the rear of the grid. What's he going to do from there? And then they end up scoring no points altogether. So, Frustrating weekend, though, for McLaren. Uh, Lando coming in, as I said, behind Ocon at the, e at the end there in 10th. Um, so only the one point for them this weekend. Ricardo in 11th. And Lando just struggled in qualifying, you know, and couldn't seem to get the car hooked up or anything. Daniel did just did a bit better, made it to Q3 and qualified 10th. So he basically went back a position, unfortunately. And, you know, not good, especially with... Ferrari finishing um, fifth and seventh at the end of the day, scoring more points. They're about 11 and a half points ahead in the championship as well now after that. So they would hope going to somewhere like Monza where it's not such a downforce reliant track that they will, will do a bit better. Um, unfortunately as well, uh, I was talking up Giovinazzi before and everything and he, he really did well in qualifying. He, he was probably one of the stars of qualifying to get into Q3 and qualify 7th, which was his equal best uh, performance in his career. But 
come the race, went backwards on the first lap, um, lost about three positions, then you ended up having a puncture and ultimately finished 14th in the race, just ahead of his teammate Robert Kubica. Yes, you heard me. I said Robert Kubica because Kimi Raikkonen missed the race from about Saturday, or he missed the rest of the weekend um, from Saturday onwards because he tested positive for COVID. Fortunately enough for him, he's been vaccinated and was showing no symptoms, but ended up isolating. That has now also resulted in Kimi missing the coming weekend there in Monza too, so Robert will be able to get back in the car. And all things considered... I think Kubica did a great job to to come in on Saturday, only have one practice session before qualifying on a very demanding circuit because obviously he's still got that um the you know the injury with his with his hand and everything. So, you know, for him to do then finish in 15th as well, I think was was a great job. So, good job and hopefully coming to to Monza, a circuit that he's very familiar with, I'm sure he can do a little bit better. Especially, you know, given it's a home race of sorts for, for Alfa Romeo, even though they are a Swiss team. Um, warring teammates down at Haas from, from quality onwards. That left um, Mazepin quite uh, upset. He basically, I think, you know, had to cut across the track um, and almost went into Vettel. As a result, he was left fuming with, with Mick. But the way that Mazepin carries on, and we talked about this on, on Grid Talk as well, um, it's like, you know, every, the whole world is wronging him, basically. What, what have I done wrong, kind of thing. And you forget that he is a pretty, pretty, pretty ordinary when it comes to, you know, compliance and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, the Haas teammates not happy with each other and, you know, Mick as well, like, you know, it's, it's not a good, good vibe at the moment. So I wonder if Gunter's going to get the stick out and, um, kind of get both his drivers into line, but that's, that's probably the only highlight there we got from, um, from Haas and Mazepin ended up retiring, I think with a hydraulics problem, um, forgot why Sonoda had to retire, but he was out of the race too, uh, Williams, they look great, you know, in qualifying, they looked great in Q2 before they both had crashes, um, and ended up in the race finishing behind the Alfa Romeos, so not the greatest weekend, I mean, we can't expect Williams to want to, or Williams to be able to score points every weekend after, you know, two really good weekends there in, in Hungary and in Belgium, even though we didn't have a race in, in Belgium, um, but, yeah, you know, we, we expect that these guys will regularly be knocking on the door of, of Q3 even at some places. Who knows how they'll go at Monza, I hope, hope well, but um, yeah, that, that's pretty much it. That's that, that, was, that was the Dutch Grand Prix, that was Zandvoort. Three-point lead now for Max in the championship. Mercedes still 12 points ahead as well in the constructors, so that's the thing that Red Bull and, and Checo especially are going to have to focus on um, heading into these next races. No calendar news for you this week, because, you know, I'm always on calendar watch to see if any anything else happens. Um, still doubts over Brazil and, and Mexico, so whether those races drop off the calendar, we'll see. But um, also no confirmation yet of the Qatar Grand Prix. Qatar? Qatar? <laughs> I think if you're Arabic, you, you, you it's pronounced Qatar. Qatar? Qatar. Anyway, this is not a, um, a language class I'm hosting, but, you know, one day, one day. Um, 
and also Turkey as well. There was that was the other one that was kind of up in the air, um, to do with the UK's uh, travel travel ban list or whatever. Moving it on to Monza then, and you know while I could say oh just go listen to the preview <laughs> I did with the um with with Grid Talk, I'm like no no I'll talk I'll talk about it here, and you know I just think. Is it possible to back up the epic race that we had last year, you know, with, with Gasly finishing ahead of Science and then Lance Stroll on the podium too? Who knows? You just have to have Lewis Hamilton not obey a, um, a flag or something or come into the pit lane when the pit lane was closed. And then we'll have chaos. Anyway, it's the second event on the calendar so far to feature the sprint. How will it feature on a um, different track sorry how will it fare on a different track um sprint as we've seen favors the drivers who like passing your likes of Verstappen, perez alonso ricardo so they can you know certainly boost their positions for start where they start for the race on sunday um without having to do all the work of a of a sunday on then if possible but then again monza is a good track for for passing it's got a lot of opportunities a lot of straights um Yet surprisingly, Red Bull, you know, you look at their record, they've only won here twice um, as Red Bull Racing, you know, back in 2011 and 2013 with with Sebastian Vettel. Um, Typically, it's not been a circuit that's been suited to them because of their power deficit and whatnot, but given how strong they are at these power tracks now, they might suit it. You know, they haven't won here in the hybrid era, and, you know, we're not including the uh, Alpha Tauri win last year that was with Honda Power as well. So... Mercedes as well, they, they'll hope that they're going to be stronger here, um, important to be at the pointy end obviously, come the sprint, uh, which we didn't see for at Silverstone because Hamilton got passed by Verstappen on the first lap, then he kind of, you know, got his revenge during the race and everything, so, you know, that's going to be important, and for Checo, I think it'll come down to Friday, getting in a good qualifying, getting into Q3, uh, qualifying top five or whatever, even if he qualifies anywhere in the top 10, he can make up that ground in the sprint and make sure that he's there with Verstappen. You know, I think a Red Bull 1-2 would be nice, you know, uh, sometime soon, especially for those points in the Constructors' Championship. So we will just have to wait and see what happens. McLaren as well, you know, they struggled at Zandvoort, but I think that they can bounce back here against Ferrari. Obviously, it's Ferrari's home race as well, so the red cars will want to put on a show for the Tifosi. It'll be great to see a crowd as well this weekend there at Monza because we didn't have one last year. And given the podium is one of the best podiums that you can have in World Motorsport or in F1, um, I think you know the fans need to be treated, even though I don't think Ferrari are going to be in a position to win the race. You never know if something crazy happens like did last year even though it was triggered by Charles Leclerc crashing, um, then I think, you know, it could be something to look forward to for those guys. So, yeah, and you, you forget that, you know, we've still got to do the traditional qualifying on the Friday, um, that Q3 will be a sea of drivers trying to back up each other or whatever and try and get a slipstream or a toe. It's such a mess every time, you know, and every time there's an uproar about it, they do it again the next year. So, you know, I'm sure we're going to see that um, come Q, end of Q2 and into Q3 on Friday. Um, pretty sure I'll be missing that one because it's on at 2am or something. Um, uh, but I will watch the sprint 
thankfully they're at 12.30 Australian Eastern Time. I've covered all the silly season news. What's going to happen at Monza? Who knows? I love coming into these weekends and not being able to predict anything. You know, I think I said, um, I did predict earlier in the week that it should be Verstappen, Hamilton and possibly Norris on the podium to, to put McLaren there. And Lando's had a few tough races going back to Hungary, I guess, you know, being KO'd by the bowling ball, Bottas. Then, you know, all the things that happened to him, you know, his qualifying crash at Spa and then subsequently, you know, not being able to have a race to, to come back in, you know, and then Zanvoort scoring a single point. I think that's really um, dented it for him, but hopefully his confidence isn't dented, which is the important thing. Good on you, Lando. We, we love you. Not not creepy at all. <laughs> There's much more creepier out there. I've seen it. It's, it's horrifying. Alrighty then. We'll move it on. Heading into the final part of this podcast. And um, a bit creative. I, I got a bit creative with this as well. You know, did, did a little spreadsheet, a, a little matrix to um, help out with trying to decipher what's going on in supercars with their silly season which has essentially been triggered by the surprise departure from Kelly Grove Racing by Andre Heimgartner, um, who won earlier this year at the Bend. It feels like we haven't had a supercar season this year for some reason, because they've been on such a long hiatus, and who knows when, when it's going to come back, hopefully next month, as, as they've said. But um, apparently a deal has fallen through um, between Heimgartner and the Grove family, which will essentially take over the running of um, KGR, Crow, uh, Kelly Grove Racing, um, following the withdrawal of the Kelly family. Um, obviously, Todd Kelly, team owner, former driver, uh, brought Heimgartner into the team, and Heimgartner, a big fan of, a uh, fierce fan of loyalty and everything, um, really respected that about the Kellys, and, you know, his loyalty repaid in the performance of the or the team's loyalty in him repaid in his performances this year and unfortunately something has broken down between um the Groves and Heimgartner for them to basically say yeah okay we'll go our separate ways for next year and yeah you know it's it's turned into a real real silly season so for um Heimgartner it looks like Brad Jones Racing is likely the destination um, alongside Nick Perkat, possibly, which puts the drives of Todd Hazelwood or and even Macaulay Jones, the the son of the boss, <laughs> um, under under threat. You know, because Jack Smith there has, or the Smith family owns their own racing entitlements contract, so they can choose to do whatever they want, um, and it's likely, you know, he will stay put. So basically, that got me thinking about, you know, um, where everyone's at for next year. And obviously, we we think about the big teams always and, you know, Red Bull and Shelby Power Racing have got their drivers locked away. And that was, you know, from last week when we had the announcement that Brock Feeney would be taking over from Jamie Wincup. So I did a little chart to go over who's where um, or who we think is going to be where for next year. Um so the top two teams there have got their drivers locked away. Anton Di Pasquale and Will Davison staying put as Shelby Power Racing. Then it gets, sorry, then it gets kind of interesting because all the other teams basically have either one driver or 
um, you know, multiple drivers not confirmed. So for Tickford, who are a three-car operation um, this year, they we don't know what's going to happen with uh, one of their cars next year, whether they'll go back to a four-car team. What we do know is that Thomas Randall is confirmed a uh, drive for next year and is also Cameron Waters. Then you look at the prospects. Well, James Courtney hasn't decided what he's going to do, whether he's still going to get boost um, mobile funding to have that car. You've got Jack LeBrock, who's currently at the team, whether he will stay or will he go. And then the name Bryce Forward popped up. Um, and there was something earlier today where Forward was basically downplaying any kind of suggestions that he has been guaranteed to drive by Tickford, even though he's currently under contract there at Walkinshaw and Dreading United, but that's up at the end of this year, and, you know, this was being talked about a while ago, that Walkinshaw are looking at, you know, putting a more experienced driver alongside Chas Mostert for next year, basically, so that they can be, or they can ensure that they can score more points, you know, and move up the, um, the team's championship, you know, something that, you know, the big teams always look at, and, you know, Walkinshaw and Dreading United want to be one of those big team players. So while Chaz Mostert's locked away, no problem there for, for Chazzy, they're looking at possibly Lee Holdsworth getting into that second seat. So Holdsworth obviously is co-driving with Mostert there at Bathurst this year. So, you know, whether they reward Holdsworth with a, a full-time drive or like to return to full-time driving, because I think it's been two years now since he's been out of a gig. It was 2019 that he was with, with Tickford, so, you know, that would be good to see old Lethal back in the game. Um, So, if, yeah, they, they decide to part ways with Fullwood, then Tickford is the only name that's been talked about for, for the old Super 2 champions, so, you know, we'll have to see how that pans out. Move on to Brad Jones Racing, um, Nick Perkat, Andre Heimgartner. Seems like a, a pretty good lineup there. But because they've got four cars, you know, Jack Smith, you can guarantee, will, will stay. But then in that fourth car, you know, Todd Hazelwood, Macaulay Jones. Now, Macaulay Jones currently driving the Coca-Cola car. Um, that sponsorship is basically decided by where Chris Pither goes, who is co-driving with Macaulay at Bathurst this year, whether. Pither decides to stay there at Brad Jones Racing. I have to wait and see. Um, and Todd Hazelwood too. You know, I feel like he's done a decent job this year. He's he's been on the podium. Um, I think he, he last year Sydney Motorsport Park. Not sure, but he's done he's done good enough. You know, so I would definitely keep someone like Todd on the team. Um, Macaulay, he's been improving as well. You know, I think he just needs a few good results under his belt to to be able to stay there but it's a tricky one you know it's a tricky because you know Brad Jones Racing has been a team that's kind of been where they are for quite some time you know like it, I feel like we haven't seen them really up there since when Fabian Coulthard was there you know going back to 2013 2014 and, and Jason Bright as well um Perkat's been excellent though you know he's been able to win races you know he's been on the podium and whatnot they were qualifying at the pointy end of the grid as well there earlier this season at Townsville. So, yeah, you know, I would like to see them move forward a little bit. Come to Kelly Grove Racing, so David Reynolds obviously locked away. Who's the candidate for the second seat? And that's where it gets interesting because Grove have decided to, like, start up this academy junior driver thing. 
and they've got this young Kiwi by the name of Matthew Payne, who's currently in Carrera Cup Porsches this year. Um, he's going to be rushed into Super 2 and all that. Whether he can get a Super license quick enough, um, he might be driving the other uh, Grove Racing um, Ford Mustang next year. <laughs> Who knows? So that's all come about quite quickly in wake of the, the Heimgartner news as well, which is really sad, I feel, because, you know, I certainly thought that Andre would be someone who'd be hanging around much longer, and him and Reynolds doing such a great job this year. They've had their peaks, they've had their troughs, but I thought it was a team that um, going ahead would do well together. Um, so that's the only name that's being kind of thrown up um, in terms of those guys for next year. Team 18, well, I think Mark Winterbottom is set. Scott Pye, I think they've just got to sign a contract or something or an extension. I would love to see those two um, stay at the team. You know, it's such a solid team is uh, Charlie Schwerkholz's operation. Just waiting for that first win. I, I have, would love to see either of those two get a win, um, particularly Frosty as well, you know, given that he hasn't won a race in such a long time. I was such a big fan of his there at FPR and, and Pro Drive now Tickford. So, you know, I would love to see him do well there in the Camaro next year, the GM Camaro, although they won't be running the Camaros in the first half of the year. It comes in the second half. Erebus, one of the other teams that have got their lineup secured, so Brody Kostecki and Will Brown, which is good to see those guys stay there. Blanchard Racing, I'm not even sure if they're doing two cars next year or just sticking with the one car. If they're, if they're sticking with one car, then Tim Slade pretty much a shoe-in, but you know if they go to two, then that's, that's pretty good. Um, in terms of opening up opportunities for others, um, Techno Team Sydney, they're keeping, I think, Coulthard and Gary Jacobson together, so good on them. And then Matt Stone Racing is an interesting one because, you know, A, I don't know if they've confirmed what manufacturer they're going to be running with next year, and B, how many cars are they going to be running next year? They could be running two, they could be running three, who knows? Um, their current drivers, though, Jake Stecky and Zane Goddard, feel like that they would be allowed to continue given that they did such a good job last year when they were basically sharing one car and did select races now they've both got their own car reach and you know have done a pretty decent job um you know it's it's hard because the margins in supercars are so low like fine you know it's it's nothing you know but you know you can be easily on the um the wrong side, but it takes a lot to get to that, um, you know, top 10, top 5 or whatever to get to the, the front like the other guys do, so great progress from Matt Stone Racing though, like the way that they've evolved and even thinking about going over to three cars, that'll be interesting, so that's where, you know, you've got names like Pitha and, and LeBrock as well that are in frame potentially to, to come in, or whether one of these two don't stick around, so yeah, a lot to play out there in supercars. I mean, it's not as straightforward as what we saw in F1, and certainly um, drums aren't really beating for anyone as hard as they were for Valtteri Bottas. So, yeah, we'll see how that goes. And it's actually nice, you know, getting some supercars news that isn't to do with, with COVID or the calendar. I think it gets a bit exhausting after a while, you know, when, when um, all you hear on the news is things related to the pandemic. So, yeah. Anyway, guys, thank you for, for tuning in this week. I hope we have a good weekend um, wherever you are in the world watching the Italian Grand Prix. I think there's some MotoGP on as well there at Aragon this weekend. So 
you're doing double duties, then enjoy. Um, other than that, I will put a link in the description to the Grid Talk podcast that I was on and, and F1 Chronicle as well for you guys to check out. Other than that, hopefully I'll be back next week to wrap up the Italian Grand Prix. Until then, ciao.